Good morning. We had a wonderful evening last night here, and I wanted you to know if in case you missed it, um, you don't want to miss the next one. We're going to keep doing this, I think, um, about once a year, having a gospel fest. Our relationship with Second Baptist Church in Everett is um, developing and blossoming, and um, it's continuing, and I am so grateful for it. Uh, Reverend Greg Jackson and his wonderful multifaceted, multi-talented family. And uh, his brother, uh, Reverend Charlie Jackson, is the pastor of the church. And we were all here together last night, uh, lifting up the name of the Lord and uh, not ashamed to do it in a rather excited way. And uh, that was really, really an amazing blessing. So thank you to all of you who participated, the choir, the uh, soloist, Becca, sang her heart out, and Paul Thompson helped us organize a lot of the uh, details of it, and I'm really grateful for Paul today. Good work. Yes. And he would be quick to say, and a lot of others helped as well, so. So in this sermon series during Lent, we're tracking with our small groups and those reading the devotional book, a lot of you have the devotional book, A Journey Through Lent. This coming week, the subject for the groups and the devotional will be a prayer of rest, which we'll look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91. In describing God, this, this Psalm 91 repeats the word refuge. Several times, God is my refuge and fortress, the second verse. Under his wings you will find refuge in verse four. No evil will befall you because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place. So in one sense, a prayer of rest is made possible by staying in God's shelter. We can feel restful when we know we are secure. And this is, this is more than just simply hiding behind God. This, Dr. Timothy Keller will teach in this video that you, a lot of you will see this week. He will teach a, really an excellent exposition of Psalm 91. And we have chosen... Matthew chapter four for our text this morning because it refers to Psalm 91, but in an unusual way. The one quoting Psalm 91 is not Jesus. It's not one of his disciples, as you would me maybe expect, but rather the tempter is quoting Psalm 91. Yes, the devil knows the Bible well and is not afraid to use it for evil purposes. So this brings us to where we're going this morning. Right at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. Whenever you see the word fasting, even if it's not mentioned, it's okay to think in your mind and praying because the purpose of fasting is to be drawn into prayer and into this relationship where we're listening to God the same way we've been listening to God this morning in silence. And at this point, 
Jesus comes face to face with evil itself. At the beginning of his ministry, after 40 days of fasting and praying, the temptation of Jesus is one of those events that appears in all three synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. All three of them talk about the temptation of Jesus. It's indicating that it's something we need to know about. Followers of Jesus need to know about the temptation of Jesus and what it means. That Jesus was tempted by Satan and did not sin is something every disciple of Jesus needs to know about. And this was a confirmation right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry between the Son of God, not a confirmation, a confrontation, sorry, a confrontation between Jesus and the evil one. And who won that confrontation? You sound so confident. (laughs) Who won the confrontation between Jesus and the evil one? Jesus did, yes. We need to know this. This is very important. Wow. So, yeah, it's okay. No, not rhetorical this time, Don. It's okay to... So this confrontation between Jesus and the devil. Now, Matthew calls him the tempter. Mark calls him Satan. Luke calls him the devil. In any case, he is the enemy of God. And his interaction with Jesus, in that interaction, he was no match for the Son of God. And we need to be clear on this point. We're talking about this this morning, and I have a motive in this, and I, wanna, I, I want us to think about this together. As we seek to follow Jesus, you and me, it's essential that we try to model our response to temptation on what Jesus does here in his time of temptation. That's where we're going with this. We want to look at what Jesus did and how he responded so that we can model our response, because it's going to come. So let's look at this. First of all, notice that the first temptation comes right at the point of Jesus' human vulnerability. He was hungry. I don't know about if you've ever tried fasting, but can you imagine going 40 days without food? It is possible to do this. You can't go 40 days without water. But it is possible, not recommended, to go 40 days without food. This is not for the the faint of heart or stomach. (laughs) But can you imagine 40 days with no food and how you would feel at the end of that? So, the tempter comes to Jesus and pinpoints his weakness right off the bat. The first temptation, turn these stones into bread. Do you think he wanted to do that? Absolutely. He was physically very, very hungry. And here's something to know about the evil one. Wherever you are weak, he will try to subvert God's good plan for your life at your point of weakness. And here's the thing. We all have areas of weakness. We all do. The Apostle Paul described his as his thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12. He wasn't specific about it. I'm kind of glad he wasn't. 
because it kind of opens up the possibility for all the different possibilities. It was clear, though, that it was bothersome to him. It bothered him that he had this thorn in the flesh. For you, it might be a tendency toward addictive behavior, having to do with food or alcohol or gambling, shopping, sex and or pornography. And of course, these days, social media, online gaming, even, even things normally associated with health and well-being, such as exercise, sports, can be addictions. Hey, even spirituality can be, have addictive qualities. Try, try just Googling a list of addictions. It will blow your mind how many possibilities there are of things to be addicted to. It's a seemingly endless list, and it's likely that right now, every adult in this room has little doubt about what it is for you. We know what it is. Your point of vulnerability. But here's the thing. The tempter also knows what that point is for you and for me. Now, here's the good news. Hear me. The evil one does not have power over you in this area. Does not have power over you. Jesus said, said these words in response to this first temptation. One does not live by bread alone, but by God's word. The truth is the evil one would like to trick us into thinking that we must have whatever it is we're tempted to abuse. We've got to have it. That if we don't have it, we will die. Or that, we'll, or that it'll be the worst thing possible. But it's not true. The only thing that we need like that is God's word. It's the only thing without which we will die. If we have that, then everything else falls into place. So this is a great place to start in humility to recognize we all have a weakness, we all have a point of vulnerability, and that even when we feel even when we're tempted to think that we have to have it, it's just not true. Human beings don't live by bread alone or by any other thing that we think we've got to have. We live by God's word, listening to what God has to say through his word, through prayer. It's the most important thing. Okay, so the second temptation that is really interesting then this is where the Psalm 91 quote comes in. The tempter quotes the phrase from the verse 12, you will not dash your foot against a stone. In other words, the tempter is saying, Jesus, throw yourself off this high place because we all know you won't get hurt. In fact, you won't even stub your toe. Timothy Keller does a great job in the video this week of explaining how Satan loves to spread the wrong idea about what God's protection means. 
he quotes the famous verse from Romans 8:28, everything works together for good, and says that some of us are tempted to, to interpret this on a very shallow level. That God promises that we will not experience hardship. Is this true? No, it's not. Both Psalm 91 and Romans 8 have a much deeper, more beautiful meaning, namely that God has an amazing ability to use both good and bad, good fortune and hardship to accomplish his goodwill. That, and this is the ultimate defeat of evil. It's amazing. So this second temptation of Jesus, in a sense, is the temptation to take a too simplistic view of this life of trouble and peace, uh, health and sickness. It, we're, we're tempted to think that if there's hardship, we're not believing enough or we're not faithful enough. When you think of it this way, can you see how easily you can get discouraged? when things go wrong. But those who know that trouble is a part of life in this world are better positioned to go through it with their faith intact. I mean, it's tempting to think that when things go wrong, to think, well, God must be punishing me. I hear this. Something, I must have done something wrong in my past and God is allowing this to happen. Or, I'm not believing enough. If I had more faith, this wouldn't be happening. No. It's simply not true. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. But don't be afraid, for I have overcome the world. Someday, we will look back on everything that happened. The good, the bad, the painful, the joyful, and we'll see God's hand in it all. And this is the ultimate defeat of evil. Thanks be to God. So now that third temptation was to bow down and worship Satan. He clearly saved his biggest gun until the last, I think having offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. All these I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. I have often puzzled over this. I mean, Jesus is the son of God. Why would he be tempted to bow down and worship the evil one? Something to realize here and remember is that yes, Jesus was fully divine, as it says in our earliest creed, the Nicene Creed, God, that Jesus was very God of very God. It's true. But he was also, at the same time, fully human. And this is the greatest mystery of the ages, that in one person, Jesus Christ, could be fully human and fully divine at the same time. Therefore, he was vulnerable to the temptations of power and prestige. And if Satan 
saved this temptation for the last, you can bet that it was the toughest. Here's what we can be reminded of today. Most of us are more vulnerable to issues of pride and power and self-image than we realize. Just, just think of the conversations that you've had in the last week or even the last 24 hours. If you could replay some of the conversations that you've had with other people and could honestly identify the times that you tried to present yourself in a better light in that conversation, I think this might come into clearer focus. Now, th this is a tricky, tricky thing. Some of us are even quite skilled at presenting ourselves in a lesser way because what we really want is for people to think that we're humble. See how tricky this gets? I do this. I am, I'll, I'll be honest with you this morning, I do this. When I'm talking to people, okay, let's, let's just talk about music. I'm a musician. And this is very much a part of kind of who I see myself to be. I'm, I have always been very, 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 very interested in music. You all know this. 2010, we got to go on this amazing trip. We ended up in Ireland in the, in the town of Dingle. Remember this? Hal and Stephanie were there also. And uh, we went to this place where we were listening to music. And this guy was playing an Irish accordion. And I was just swept up by the sound of this instrument. I, I leaned over to Chris and I said, that's my instrument. And she looked at me with a combination of what? And you are crazy, aren't you? <laughs> so I just, I just knew I had, I had to play that instrument. I had to play. So I came home and I bought one and I started learning. 2010, fast forward about two, three years. I'm getting together with people to play this instrument. I had been practicing really, really hard. And um, they would say, um, hey, you're doing really well. I go, oh yeah, no, no, not really. And they go, yeah. And, and then they finally would ask the question that I've been really secretly wanting them to ask. How long have you been playing? Oh, a couple years. A couple years and you can play like that? Yeah, no, I'm not very good. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> see what I'm doing there I'm setting a really low expectation so com people can be amazed by my musicianship it's sick <laughs> in a bad but you know as I, as I go through this and I am getting kind of more and more nauseated with myself as I, I do this I'm trying not to do this but then I'm realizing I do this with my ministry as well when I'm talking to other people in ministry. I do it when I'm talking about my family. I'm doing it when I talk about this church. You know, how many members do you have in your church? Oh, we got one guy who's six, seven. You know, how big is your church, they say. Oh, we got one guy, I'm talking about Deward. He's six, seven. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And trying not to talk about how many people because I really want them to wonder, you know. This is tricky stuff, really. I mean, it's one of those things we need to be aware of. We deny it, I think, a lot of the time, that we are susceptible to issues of pride, and in doing so, we fall into a trap. But here's what we need to realize. This, too, is a vulnerability 
that the evil one knows how to leverage against followers of Jesus. And sometimes it's really subtle. It's telling that there's a recurring theme in the stories of celebrity pastors who have fallen hard in recent years. The theme is that they have one way or other found themselves surrounded by people who are blindly loyal in a setting of high authority and prestige and at the same time, low accountability. You know what I'm talking about? It's a deadly combination. It's a combination that the evil one loves to manipulate. And these, some of these celebrity Christian leaders have fallen hard because they gave in to that temptation to be all about the power and the prestige and what people thought about them. I love, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is talking about what God thinks of him as the most important thing. He basically is saying to the Corinthians, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 4, 3. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, I do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Basically, I don't care what you think, he's saying to the Corinthians. I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of me. Only one opinion counts, God's, and he hasn't spoken yet. See the difference here? We need to be aware of our vulnerability to praise and accolade and power, folks. It's intoxicating, and it's dangerous, and the devil loves to leverage it for evil. Okay, this is a lot this morning. I realize that, but hey, it's Lent. <laughs> I'd like to leave us with two thoughts today. First, as I said, my motive in sharing this all today is just simply know thy enemy. This is actually a quote from an ancient Chinese book on, the, on warfare, the art of war. It's said that it was probably written maybe 6th century BC, the art of war. And here's the quote. It's, it's, it's edited a bit, but the, here's the quote in English. If you know both yourself and your enemy, you can win a hundred battles without jeopardy. This is a famous book that's actually on the reading list of all the different armies of the world, including the US. If you know both yourself and your enemy, you can win 100 battles without jeopardy. In this passage in Matthew 4, it reveals some of the ways and approaches of temptation, and we need to be aware of them, as Jesus was. We can model our response to temptation and to evil after Jesus. So there's the first thing. 
The second is a reminder. The devil has been defeated in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.37. Never forget this. The devil has been defeated. We need not live in fear. I want this to be the thing that's ringing in your ears today as you leave this place. We need to be smart. We need to be aware. It's possible to be either too lackadaisical about evil or too interested (laughs) to the point of being fearful. Neither are good. In the words of C.S. Lewis from his classic little book, The Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. A third choice, and the best, I believe, is to be as aware as Jesus was. To rest, to take refuge in the presence and the power of God, the victor. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank that you are present here in this place today. Holy Spirit, we give you our lives, ourselves today. I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom beyond ourselves. Lord, we are aware of our own weakness, our vulnerability. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the defender of the weak, that you comfort those in need, and that you lift us up on wings like eagles. You never get tired or weary or faint. I pray, Father, especially for anyone here today who is so aware of their own sin, of their own weakness, their own vulnerability, that they're having a hard time even getting beyond that. I pray, Lord, for a a new work of the Holy Spirit to come upon anyone who is struggling today assuring us of your grace and mercy, but also the promise that you are the defender of the weak, you comfort those in need, and you lift us up on wings like eagles. Lord, as we bring our offering to you today, we also bring our lives to you. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, amen.